Everybody joining me right now is the program trader, Ernie Veratimos. Ernie, how, how are you? I'm doing great, Don. What a wild day in the market. <laughs> I slept until 2.30 Eastern. I, I don't I – don't, I was up – you know, in the winter, when it gets dark and cold, my sleeping patterns get off. And, really? Yep. Yeah, so yesterday uh, – let's see, today's, today's, today's Thursday. <laughs> yeah. I know. I lose track of days too. Right. So – uh, last night I went to bed at about eight thirty, and I woke up at midnight. And then from midnight until about mm, eight o'clock this morning, I was awake. And I've slept from eight until one thirty. My sleep schedule is just off. So I I missed the wild ride. What happened today? Tell me what's going on. Well, you know we're we're coming off of this big drop, and uh, there's a lot of volatility in the market, and a lot of a lot of uh, companies are. Are hitting some kind of bottom, and and everyone's wondering, you know, is it going to keep on going down? Is this the big one, Don, <laughs> or uh, or are we going to? Uh, is this just another one of those um, that old pattern that we used to have, where every time there was a big dip, it was just a buying opportunity? Yep. And so I think because the market has been going sideways for so long that a lot of people don't really know whether or not this is one of those buying opportunities, um, and you know. Hey, a good a good illustration of this is Amazon. I mean, Amazon uh, did earnings uh, right after the market closed, and they missed slightly on their on their earnings per share, but they basically came in line with virtually all of their uh, for their forward guidance that they had provided. Uh, but the market just slapped them silly, and they went they were down like um, at one point almost fifteen uh, percent. Now it's re- it's recovered a little bit and it's back, but yeah. The, well, the it, low the low for people wondering it was was five forty one after hours, and it closed at about six thirty four. So that was a ninety, I don't know, eighty ninety point drop at one point after right. hours. Right, and right now it's still down about uh, seventy points. Uh, but during the day, it was up 8.9%, you know, with in, in anticipation that they were going to at least meet all their expectations, which they did. But you know how the market is. The market is so fickle. If they, I, I really believe that this is some of the big guys just slapping it just for the uh, pure opportunity of coming in and then buying it at a lower price. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure exactly how that would work, you know, because someone's got to lose some money, right? Well, well, it, I mean, if you were looking for a chance to buy it, well, hold on, back up. I, I would never buy something before earnings. I would never sell something before earnings because the couple times I've done that have been disasters for me. Okay, let me, I, let me give you three quick stories. Back in like 2000 or 19, this is a long time ago. There was a stock called Critical Path, and I don't know if anyone even remembers that company. They're, they're, they're no longer around, but I bought them 15 minutes to go, and I paid like 22 a share because they were on everyone's must-buy, going to surprise kind of list. And I bought them, and then 15 minutes after the close, they announced that they had to restate earnings for four quarters. And I went from 22 to 12 <laughs> in literally 15 minutes. And I put a lot of money into that, and that was disastrous. And the next thing was I, I traded Google one time after hours. And this is one of those things where if if you haven't traded live, you don't know how this can happen. This is going to sound like it's impossible, but it's not. I shorted after hours. It popped like um, you know fifty bucks or something like that, and I shorted it. I thought, oh, okay, I'm 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 a genius because it started <laughs> to pull back. And then the rocket ride began. And I mean, dude, it was up 100 points after hours and maybe 15 minutes. Oh, man, trying to time, uh, you know, a stock movement, that that is 
like the worst possible thing you can do because we, you know, us humans, we totally suck. I did. I, yes, I, that's the word I would use. And I, I, I called my partner and I said, listen, there's some good news and there's some bad news. The good news is we still have some money left in the account. That's the good news. <laughs> and, of course, the hilarity ensued. And then the other time I did an earnings um, deal was uh, Apple with you um, and a, on a live uh YouTube kind of thing a couple of years ago, and I was like, you know, I think Apple's going to go down, uh, and they did not go down. They historically went up like thirty percent, and so I, I, I'm no longer doing earnings. I'll let you, the expert, play earnings. Well, I wasn't necessarily doing an earnings play today. Uh, I was initiating a covered call uh, strategy on on Amazon as well as a bunch of other stocks, and so today was the first day. It just happened to be before earnings. And people may not know what you're talking about because we haven't discussed what you actually did. I was going to let you bring it up if you wanted to, but I, explain to the folks listening what you did and, and why it's relevant. Oh, sure. So uh, I wanted to uh, initiate this covered call strategy. This is where you have own stock and then you sell a call against it. And the idea is that you do this on a regular basis. And when you sell a call, it's kind of like a hedged position against long stock. Uh, and um, you sell it, and then when it expires, you collect all the premiums. So uh, essentially what you're doing is you're collecting some money on a regular basis on your stock. And if you do this over a long period of time, you reduce the cost basis of the stock that you own. And if you do it long enough, you can actually own the stock for you know for nothing. Right. Um, and so I initiated that today with Amazon, and today they had earnings – uh, I figured, you know, you could roll the dice a little bit, uh, and if if it went up, it would be a huge winner, a great way to start it off. If it if it got hit, then I would still collect the premium, and that would reduce any hit that it took, and I would continue on with that covered call strategy, uh, and uh, well, you know, as, as I normally planned, anyways. Let's talk about the mathematics of this. You paid for Amazon. What what, what did you pay for the actual underlying stock, just within a dollar? What did you pay for it? Uh, I believe it was at um, six hundred and thirty. Okay, six hundred. Yeah, about six hundred and. 25 or 630 and, and, and your um, option and, what was your yeah. option at uh well it was um it was a 610 call okay so what, so i it had plenty you know i felt it had plenty of room but what you know, what was your premium in the event that there was some downside what was it what was the call price would you sell the call for oh uh you're gonna make me go back and uh i have to because i gotta get my spreadsheet i gotta figure i gotta, I gotta let the people know <laughs> What what happened here? How how they could learn from this? Yeah, all right. I'll uh, I'll get it up here just in a second. Here, here it is. Um, the price of the uh, option was thirty nine dollars. Oh, really? Oh, okay. So, all right. So let's look at this. So you bought the stock for six thirty, and you sold the call for thirty nine. Right. It's that, now worth twenty six. That gives you five ninety one is what you were covered to, uh, right. because you take the price of the stock was six thirty. Mm-hmm. Minus what you brought is so you're out at six hundred and thirty. Someone then gives you in return thirty nine dollars, and that means effectively the stock for you is at five ninety one. Effectively, that's right. Now you sold a six ten option, which meant that the stock at six hundred and ten. That's what someone would quote call you out at at six ten. Of course, right. the stock is now at five sixty. No one's giving you six ten for the stock. We Right. You, in other words, no, no one's going to give you 610 for something they can buy in the open market for 560 something. Absolutely. Okay. So effectively, you're in it at 591 and it's at 566. 
Right. Uh, so effectively, you're underwater 25 points. Now, just to be to be fair about this, when you do a covered call like this, then this is actually for someone who's a long-term holder of a stock. If you make the decision you're not going to sell the stock anyway, you don't care about this because for you, if you bought it at 630, you'd rather have bought it at 591, which is effectively where you are. So if you sold the call and you're cool with it, then you're only down 25 bucks instead of uh, um, uh, 70 bucks. Right, which right. Uh, amounts to about a half a percent. Right, so that's not a – I mean $25 on a $591 stock – get my calculator here – is 4% on the stock. And if you had an eighth of your money in that stock, you're talking about roughly one-fourth of 1% or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not a it's not a killer. It's just that no the amount that it went down was kind of shocking compared to what the what the actual um, performance of the stock of the company was over that period. You know, and it it just seems um, you know kind of lopsided how how much th- that the market spanked it. Now now it was down at one point almost fifteen percent. Right at this moment, it's only down about ten and a half percent. And I think that it will come back. Even if it comes back another couple of dollars, my my effective deal here, I'll probably break even uh, with this. But this is only one iteration of my covered call strategy. It's a weekly strategy. Right now, so I'll be yeah, doing it, this you fifty sold, times. You sold you sold a weekly option on this. So right. uh, let me ask you about the weekly options play here. Um, does this mean that one week out from this, the option will expire worthless? That's correct. Okay, so effectively, someone. Someone paid, excuse me, $39 to ride Amazon for one week. I mean, that sounds like a crazy premium they paid. Why would someone have paid that kind of premium? They must have thought Amazon was getting ready just to rock it. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> well, 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 no, the, the reason I say is because if, if, it, was, if it was a 610 strike, whoops, uh, 610 plus the $39 is 649 so they thought Amazon was going to go to six forty nine or higher. Let's say six fifty. Well, it's not really a rocket ride. I guess it's not that big of a no, deal. No, um, and you know, it was just a year ago that Amazon was half this price. Right. Okay. You know, we 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 probably should just stop talking right now because um, I, you and I, uh, you're 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 publicly in a trade that's going against you, and I've talked about two or three that went against me in the past, and that means we suck. So we should just quit talking about this, right? Well, I, I don't really look at it as going against me, though. I mean, yeah, this was um, a, a tough way to start off this covered call strategy, but over time, uh, it's going to work out. Oh, come on now. I, I was having fun, and you turned it into something serious. I was, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was I was mocking. Uh, I, I was being self-deprecating, and, and you, you took it seriously. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, it's just tough when you uh, put a, uh, a trade on like this and then, you know, Minutes later, you get slammed for it. Yeah, but you know, you you've already taught people something, and you're <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, trade st- trade station. I'm going to leave that in the because uh, that'll be fun for people listening because we heard it live. Right. <laughs> trade station every hour, I think, or well, at certain hours of the day, will ring that bell. I hate that. Um, well, you you've actually taught people how to handle this. And before I tell people how you you have already taught them how to handle this, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to tell people that you're the program trader at programtrader.com. Mm-hmm. How come, by the way, when you go to programtrader.com, it forwards to programmed trader? Well, I use you know depending on um, you know how you choose to spell programmed with one M or two M's. I have actually both pointing to the same website. You do, and, and I I went to programmed trader with two M's. 
and I ended up at programmed with one M and thought I'd mistyped it. And then I, I was just too lazy to go back and type it again. So you're confirming to me that, that you just have both domains and they're pointing the same Yeah, part. that's all the, the internet trickery behind the scenes. Okay, gotcha. Um, so Ernie Vertimo's program trader, and as, as I did in last time we talked, Ernie's not paying me for this, although I wish he would. I'm just being completely <laughs> straight about this. I would like it if he would pay me for these discussions. Now, you taught people something that I'm going to tell a quick story about that then I'll dovetail back to your video. The what, I think the best video you've ever done. Okay. I had uh, my uncle one time ask me because he was a real estate agent, still is a real estate agent. He asked me once when you made money selling a house. And I said, well, that's easy when you sell the house. He said, no, you make your money when you buy the house. And I was, you know, a 20 something kid. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Explain. He said, well, when, when you buy a house, whatever you pay in the beginning will dictate the profit you make on the end. If you pay $100,000 now and you sell the house for $150,000, you'll make 50% of your money. But if you bought the house for 125000 you'll make whatever the percentage would be. The least amount you pay now, no matter what you sell it for later, you'll have an easier time to sell it later. You can make more in terms of potential profits, blah, blah, blah. So that concept of what you do in the beginning, protecting you or making you more money in the end, is something you've talked about in a lot of videos when it comes to stocks. When you've taught people, the number one thing they got to do is get their position sizes down. Because mm -hmm. how you come into the trade will dictate a lot of things, your emotions and your ability to, to do everything to sleep at night or conserve your capital, etc. And you talk about it in a way I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on here. You talk about it like this. You say if the position size, if you think it's small enough, then you need to make it even smaller. Talk, yeah. about, talk about position sizes and how you can sit here and very glibly talk about being down in Amazon uh, 60 points or whatever and you're not panicking. Because I know a lot of people – myself included years ago would be panicking your position size has put you in, in a space well in a position no pun intended well you're just not that concerned about it so talk about position sizing sure well the number one thing that kills people in the market is using leverage or um, putting bets on that are too big for them to handle uh, see the problem don is that most people have a real hard time trying to figure out which way direction's going and when they get in trouble uh, they they get all panicky and then they try to increase their position size to try to get back. You know, everyone's looking at, you know, what I could have made or where I was, you know, and, and they feel like that, you know, that's what they have to attain. And the only way they can attain it is by increasing their position size when, in fact, that's the exact opposite thing that they need to right, do. Right, right. Hold on. I, I want to stop there for a moment. You said something which is, is really uh, important. People think that the, the, the number one tool or the, the best weapon in their arsenal is just bigger positions. That That's not accurate. If you want to know why J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs and these big brokerage firms have these quarters that are statistically winning quarter after quarter, it's not because they win every trade. It's they, they take so many small trades. They don't they don't push all their chips in the middle. And, and, and so when I talk to somebody who says, well, I've got a couple thousand dollars. I want to buy a stock or whatever. I'll ask him, well, how many shares of stock do you think that you're going to buy? A friend of mine in particular recently wanted to buy DDD, which is a 3D printing stock. Uh, they're mm -hmm. called uh, what are they? 3D Systems. That's it. And he wanted to buy them, and they were like at eighty. And so, what he was going to do is he had two thousand dollars. He said, "Well, I could I could buy two thousand dollars worth." No, no, you can't. <laughs> By the way, it's at seven and a half right now. But no, you you can't buy two thousand dollars worth. The little guy, Ernie, isn't it true that the little guy always believes 
In fact, this is a way you can tell you're a little guy. You can know you're a little guy. Look at the size of your position as relative to your overall portfolio. Right. The smaller the investor, both in portfolio and mindset, the bigger the position they take. The bigger the investor, the smaller the position they take. Well, there, there are two principles that um, – well, I, I'll say three – that you need to keep in mind when you're, when you're trading that will work for you in the long run. Um, and, and one of them is the law of big numbers and uh, the, the other is um, potential for profit. And then the third is your return on capital. We'll start with right. the law of big numbers. What, for people that don't know, explain why that's an issue. Okay. So what you want to do – well, the other two factors kind of fall into why you need the law of big numbers. Uh, oh, there was – and there's one, um, one more and that's compounding. Okay. So – with the law of big numbers, if you um, let's take the example of a baseball player and uh, the you know the batting title in a major league baseball league, right? Uh, there's hitting 300 is really great for a baseball player to achieve. I mean, if you hit 300, you're you know you're a superstar. If you hit 310 or 330, you're a, you're a megastar. All right, and but you're still losing seven out of ten times that you're coming to bat. Now, the way they determine who's the batting title is they, that person is the person who can hit 300 but over a certain number of times up at bat, all right? So if they can do th uh, that, maintain that average over, say, four or 500 times at bat, then there's uh, almost certainty that that guy is a 300 hitter. But let's say that you have another guy who was in the league, but he was only up, say, 50 times, but he hit on an average of 400. You would say, wow, that guy's an incredible hitter. But no, because he hasn't been in uh, in the game enough to prove himself – um, he, you can't give the batting title to him. He has to be up at least, say, two or three hundred times before you could give him the batting title. And I'm sure that over that period of time, unless he's Ted Williams, is not going to maintain that average. So, so as it relates to stocks, it, it means what? How are you relating that to someone's portfolio? Because that's an, right. that's an so, old, old used metaphor, but apply the big number metaphor to someone listening right now with a couple thousand dollars in an account. Yeah. So if you're using um, big trades, you're limited to the number of trades that you can make because there's going to be a certain number of them that you're going to lose. Now, even if you're a 50 percent um, winner, right? If you use big trades, it, it doesn't take more than, say, two or three trades if you're using very large size where you dwindle your account down to nothing. But if you do very, very tiny trades, you can stay in the game a lot longer. And uh, and if you can then prove your your efficiency at actually trading. So in other words, if you can get your um, your actual trading uh, efficiency or profitability up to 50% and you can do that over and over and over and over again, you can stay in that game a lot longer and give yourself a chance to, to right. make profit. That's right. So And so when someone takes – a couple thousand dollars, they roll it all into one stock. The next thing you know, that stock goes south by even 10%. Now they don't have $2,000. They got 1900 or $1,800 or whatever. And you can, people listening need to understand you can have two, three, four, or five losers in a row that do that. And oh, if, easily. And easily, easily. And so then, so now you go from 2000 to 1500 so you lose 25%, but to get back to break even, you got to make 33% on your money, which you couldn't even do with your $2,000. And now you're right. going to climb up. And, and consider that when you lose half of your money, you don't have to um, gain 
um, you know, that half back. You have to gain 100% back to get back to where you were. Which is exactly – that's why it goes back to your point in the – the title of that video – what was the name of that video you did like the four – I think it was the four secrets of trading. Yeah, I love that video, the four secrets of trading and, and you should repost it or something like that because you really laid it out there for people. And the thing that I like the most is that you, you really harped on the issue of, um, of position sizing in – look, I know you've got some strategies that you've shown me that you've done. And one you did the other night, you showed me the other night where you, ac- you showed me actual trading results was crazy profitable – in mm-hmm. terms of gross and uh, and, net, and net profits, crazy. But I noticed there was only a forty four percent quote winning percentage on your trades. Right. Now you can't have forty four percent winners and yet the crazy profits you had if you're loading the boat trade after trade, doubling down trade after trade, trying to get back to even trade after trade. That strategy was something that you've probably taken what a thousand trades and how many trades did you get to that profitability with that? Yeah, it's probably something well several hundred trades. Okay, so you have a strategy that you've used where you don't have to be a hero on your win-loss percentages, but you are heroic, masterfully so, on your net profits. Yeah, because over that uh, five or 600 trades, I'll tell you, there's probably going to be at least four or five instances where there's going to be a losing streak of, say, seven, eight trades in a row. Yep. At least four or five times right. you're going to have that kind of losing streak. Right. What, so, do you, what do you say to the person who says, well, I, you know, that's fine, but I, I, I've got a small account. I have to take bigger, I have to take, you know, bigger chances. Right. That's where compounding comes in, Don. Okay. So if, if you're doing, even with a small account, if you're doing small, first of all, you have to prove that you can actually win at trading, right? You know, I mean, yeah, before you yeah, even get to the yeah, nirvana there, that you... Yeah, there's that, there's that concept. People need to understand that no matter what we're talking about, it does assume at some point you have some winning trades. You, yeah, you, and no, that you yeah. have a strategy that works and that you have the discipline and um, and everything that will go into actually becoming a, a winning trader. Right. I mean, if uh, until you can actually prove that day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, you know, you're, you're really nothing. So you have to... And really, so the only way to get there is to get good at it. And the only way to get good at it is to stay in the game. The only way to stay in the game is to trade uh, a small enough size so that you can right. prove it. Right. You, you have to – that's exactly right. The only way and, – and someone says, well, but if I, if I only got a couple thousand dollars, okay, there are strategies you can employ with a couple thousand dollars. And there are strategies you can employ with a couple hundred thousand dollars. But at the end of the day, if you want to know how to trade a couple thousand dollar account – some simple, simple rules. Number one, you want low commissions. Okay, you, you, if you're if you're looking at your brokerage account and you're going, well, I'm paying ten dollars in and ten dollars out. That's too much. You need to find brokers that will give you better deals. Or if you say, well, you know, I need to make, you know, I've got uh, say two thousand dollars, but I need to like have money to retire on. Well, how old are you? If you're telling me you're sixty five years old and you only you only have two thousand dollars, Ernie, I don't know a lot of strategies that are going to make you a thousand percent on your money in a in, where you'll be retiring in the next five years. So there are just well, some, some reali- there's just realities of some of this stuff, right? I mean, you can't, you know, you can't look at your situation and say one size is going to fit all. But what we both know is that you better get those position sizes down. And yeah. you better get your commission sizes down so that you've got the opportunity to come in and make trade after trade after trade because you're going to have some losers and you can't have a loser take you out of the game. Yeah, and sometimes that uh, that big loser is your very, very first trade like uh, this Amazon trade I made. But see, I, I plan on doing 50 of these trades over the, over the next year. Uh, so this is only one. And there are going to be other trades that I'll do at least – 
three other times in the next year where it will be uh, during Amazon earnings. Well, hold on, hold on, but not you will not be making fifty twenty five dollar losers. <laughs> no, no. As a matter of fact, each each trade that I do. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to at least make the uh, the premium that's in in that covered call, and hopefully the stock will also go up. But I'll have some uh, cushion also if the stock goes down. You know, so over time, this trade should w- win out, and I should be able to eke out about you know two or three percent a month. Um, you know, if I can, if I apply this consistently, and, and you know, and people would hear two or three percent a month and go two or three percent. I can't live on that. Look, get out your spreadsheets. Look at two or three percent a month and do that over twenty years. Okay, then let's let's talk about that because it Well that's where compounding comes in. Because right. if you can make these small amounts in the beginning, it always seems like you're just not you're you're you know, walking through mud that uh, you're not getting anywhere. But if you apply these uh, these tactics consistently over time, you build it up a little at a time, more and more and more. All that stuff starts compounding, uh, and and you start increasing your uh, your bet size in relation to the size of your account. So, in right. other words, That's the right. ratio of the the size of your bet to the size of your account never right. really changes. Right. But your account is growing, so now you can make your bet size bigger. So you're making more, and then just like um, like a more Mortgage, you know, I mean, uh, although it's kind of the reverse on a mortgage, um, you're you're paying, uh, you know, all the interest up front, and then as you get uh, further and further into it, uh, you're paying less, and you're paying more towards the premium, and then you. Uh, obtain ownership of your house faster and faster the the closer you get to the end of that mortgage. It's the same thing with uh, with trading. We, we that, should we, we should do a video. Um, we're coming up on thirty minutes here, and when I edit this, it's probably not going to be even thirty minutes. But we should do we should do a video where we talk about the covered call strategy you're doing in more detail. I don't want to do it now. Uh, I'd like mm-hmm. to to um, have that be a separate video, but because. It is an interesting strategy, especially for folks who have made the following decision. A, I want to own this stock. B, I don't intend to sell it unless I get a crazy you know, premium in a very short amount of time. And C, I'm okay if the stock pulls back. If those three, if those three things apply to anybody listening to this conversation, then the covered call strategy Ernie's doing right now might be something that uh, you could do that might do it over the next 20 years. Uh, put you in very good stead. You could you could retire. Well, yeah, and, and the covered call strategy is one of those things that um, most brokers, well, all brokers, will allow just about anybody to do with minimal um, experience in Absolutely. trading options. You can come into an Ameritrade account and go, uh, I got a face, and here's a pencil, and they'll say, great, <laughs> you can sell covered calls. Okay, let's let's uh, switch gears to, to a funny a funny story that I want to relate real quick. That it, it kind of applies to all this. All these lessons that you and I know came because you and I spent a lot of money in losing trades over the years to learn them. Let's just be frank about this. Nothing I know did I did I learn because somebody told me. I learned because I went, oh, okay, I don't I don't think that doesn't make sense. I'm gonna do it my way, and then you know get my face kicked in. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, by the way, I'm speaking for myself. Are, are you with me on this, or am I out on a limb here? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Even, even the, uh, the the richest guys in the world have failed multiple times. Right. So everything that we're talking about, you know, we had to learn the hard way, and that's just kind of the way life is. So um, I was talking to one of my kids the other day about something. I said, I said, here's a life lesson. You can learn this lesson, okay? And it was a, a real – it's one of those things that we could all just – we take for granted as we're adults. But when, when, when you're a kid, you don't realize it. Here's a life lesson. And my, my son looked at me and he said, well, I don't want to learn that lesson. Now, hold on. 
I looked at him and I laughed. I said, that's the title of a book. You could, <laughs> that's a book that you could write called, I don't want to learn that lesson. And then, you know, signed, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, whatever, sign your name to it. And, uh, then he followed, he followed up and I, I asked him why he didn't want to learn it. He said, cause I already know it. <laughs> so therein lies the great conundrum as anything that we do in life. You always think you know everything. And then life hands you Amazon after hours down 80. The difference is that in Ernie's case, he knew enough in advance to say, you know, before I, before I buy that, I might want to protect myself and I'm going to have a really small position size. And that way I can come on and talk to Chili D and not be having a panic attack. <laughs> well, quite frankly, I wasn't expecting uh, Amazon to get slapped this bad, but it's still it's still not uh, – uh, it's still not bad. I'm still in the game. Yeah, but hold on a second. Let's be clear. If you had written the book yesterday called I Don't Want to Learn That Lesson, I Already Know It, okay, then right now you might have a big giant position size and you, you might uh, be having a hard time breathing because, you know, if let's say, let, look, let's say your, your portfolio was $100,000 mm-hmm. and you bought $100,000 in Amazon and Amazon did this. <laughs> That would be tough. That would be very, very difficult. Everybody, it's Ernie Veritimos, the programmed trader at programmedtrader.com. Ernie, any parting thoughts you want to throw out there? Yeah. Uh, So we're going to publish this on a podcast. Oh, we Uh, are? Yeah. And uh, I have I have just the podcast. What do you think of this? It's gonna it's gonna be called. Well, actually, it already exists, and it's been waiting. It's a platform waiting for us to do something like this. It's called Trade for a Living, or How to Trade for a Living. Huh. Okay, Trade for a Living. But I, I I'm not sure that I want to talk about just trading. I mean, I want to talk about everything from the holographic universe. Uh, to the flat Earth, uh, to Bigfoot. I mean, we we need to cover well, a lot I'm not of. I'm putting any restrictions on it. <laughs> we can talk about whatever you want, but it is about living, trading for a living. Well, I guess everything in life is a trade, isn't it? It is. And so we we can define what the trade is going to be. That that we'll, we'll define the trade. Yes. As we close here, Amazon is up ten bucks in the last uh, ten minutes. Which means you're you're breathing a little bit easier. A little bit easier. Yeah, I mean I've had trades like this. I, I I'll, I'll grant you it's been a, the the last time I had a trade like this was was when I said I liked uh, Apple short a couple of years ago. See, I learned my lesson. You see that? Mm-hmm. I had I had just written a book called I Know Everything I Need to Know About Apple, and then I signed my name to it. And I was I was signing autographed copies as earnings were being announced, and uh, so now I've I'm gonna have to come out with a new book. Called everything I learned from that trade. You know, I was going to relate something else. Uh, uh, this, six, this, is, six, this kind of goes back to Well, you're about 15 points now. It, it, as we're talking, it's climbing right now. It's at 566. Yeah. I, I'm not even looking at it. <laughs> just to tell you the truth. It's, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to just follow I'm, the strategy. I'm more worried you about were talking your, your position. You were talking you about are. your son. I didn't said, want to learn this thing right now. And, you know, when, when you're younger, you think that you know everything. Oh, you know, I, I, I took martial arts for a while and uh, I had this sensei that um, that related this thing to me. So he said that, you know, as you get older and as you become more wise and you become the master, you start realizing um, how little you actually know. And oh, yeah. I've really found that to be true. I mean, as I get older and you start realizing just how vast and complex this world is, in the beginning, I thought I knew everything about everything and I thought I could tell everybody everything. But now I'm starting to realize just how little I know and how open you have to be to, um, you know, to what's out there mm. and to be objective. Oh, well, there, there, there's a conversation we could have 
which we could fill up hours and hours with. It's it's this idea that you you know what's going on. When it, when I hear when I hear people, you know, one thing I'm famous for, I think, is telling people when you tell me always or never. There's one thing I know to be true. All right. And it is, it's not going to be different this time. So that I, I keep hearing people say, it's, it's going to be different, it's going to be different. It's never different this time. And yet I hear people come out there, especially on YouTube, let's be honest, and say this time is going to be different. And they figured out, this, they now know the thing which 10,000 years of recorded history couldn't have been figured out. But with a little research on Wikipedia, uh, they now have an, a full understanding of whatever the topic is. And by watching enough anonymous YouTubers talk about some conspiracy theories, they've connected dots, and now they know the answers. No, <laughs> you don't. I was just thinking, you know, that's probably why the uh, phones, these smartphones, are going to be the bane of our total existence because they – most people think or believe that that phone has increased their IQ by about, oh, you know, man. at least 10 points oh, man. because they have access to all this knowledge. You know, that, that, I, you know, we now are at 30 minutes or so, so I want to cut this out because I know people are probably going, God, these old guys just keep going. But w- I, I want to have a discussion. We should talk about this next time about just how dumb we are and just how far away f- we are from where we should be. I, I am stunned, totally amazed at the level of ignorance that exists out there. When you have – you can put in your hand a device which can call up any fact on any topic you want. In one second, and yet we're the dumbest, certainly since I've been alive. I've never seen more idiocy than exists today, and people seem to be okay and comfortable with that, and they want to be dumb. I don't get it. Listen, I talked about the flat earth a little while ago. You can go. <laughs> I did a video on that. <laughs> you did? Okay. Dude, th- I, I had a guest. I had a guest on. He was a, a, a pro pool player, and he believed in the flat earth, and I had um, – it, it, I had Corey D on with me, and we were sort of the uh, the opposition to him. It Corey was, C. It was, you mean Corey C? I, I'm sorry, Corey, Corey C. C. I I get uh, confused with that, Chili D. Chili D. Corey C. Well, the the I, I remember a couple of years ago I saw a video on the flat Earth, and I thought this is ridiculous, right? But then I noticed at some of the alternative websites, some of these keep on stacking at silver websites, people talking about flat Earth. And I thought, no, come on. And along with the the what was it the uh, uh, the Homo Capensis Capensis Co- right yeah. okay I thought come on people can't really believe this right and then I went to YouTube I started searching just searched YouTube for flat Earth and there was like a thousand videos or some crazy number I said wait a second what then I went to Google Trends and I typed in flat Earth. And as of the moment I'm talking with you right now, the the most number of searches for flat Earth in the history of Google are, are happening right now. It's at its zenith. Man, and that is scary. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And there are videos out there. No, no, no. Uh, something that Copernicus solved about a thousand years ago. <laughs> <laughs> They're actually talking about like it's wrong. The Earth is flat, dude. Well, anything but what is reality, right? Wow. Anything, anything but reality. And, you know, there, there's another group out there that's talking about hollow earth, too. Yeah, there's the hollow earth, the flat earth. Um, and, and, you know, we, we, we should have a conversation because I, you know, I believe it's the conspiracy in the conspiracy. It's the alternative to the alternative. It is that once – now, check this theory out. Let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you something. There is no Bigfoot. I, I'm right. sorry, folks. I'm sorry. There is no Bigfoot. There, we have heat-seeking drones. We have infrared cameras. We have a million people on trails now with trail cams and all that. 
There's no Bigfoot. There's no Loch Ness Monster. They don't exist. Technology has proven those things don't exist. Now, hold on a second. What happens, Ernie, is people, once that mystery has been solved, they got to come up with something else. Yeah. They got to come up with something else. And so, so they're regurgitating and rehashing stuff, which has been already solved. Well, the earth isn't flat. I'm sorry. The earth is not flat. But well, we're, all, we're all looking for something more than what actually is. Isn't there a, an old song called, Is That All There Is, My Friend? Mm, now, I'll admit, although we're both old, you are older than me. So that may come from the 40s, Ernie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, well, I, I wasn't around, but <laughs> I'm not that old. But yeah, we're all we're always looking for more than what actually is because we can't come to grips with the fact that this is all there is. Right. And the, you know the crazy thing is that if you just opened your eyes, you'd realize that all there is is really incredibly yes. huge. All there is is amazing. What we have is isn't what we have enough without having to have boogeymen. That that's that's what trips me out. I mean, all these people that need some sort of boogeyman to explain why things are when all the boogeymen to date have been explained away there is no there's just no bigfoot uh, I, I, there's an, let me take the, the metaphor a little bit further here if i saw that netflix had an ad today that there's some show out called i'm going to get this wrong i think it's called superstore i think it, uh, superstore supercenter i don't know but one of those two and I don't know what it's about. I think it's probably a show about people that work at Walmart or something. I don't know. It's irrelevant, but something on Netflix. And they said you can now binge watch the first, like, seven episodes. Now, 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 listen, binge watching is something which is this crazy phenomenon where when we were younger, like, let's say it was a series that you like to watch when you were a kid. Let's say All in the Family or who knows, Rhoda or I don't know what was popular when you were young, but one of these crazy 70s sitcoms. Well, once a week during the regular season, during the, you, you, it'd be on TV and you'd watch it. And there was time between the shows. Well, you can now sit down and watch every episode of some show in succession on your couch in one evening. Just sit and watch and watch and watch and watch. And here's what I discovered. The only show that I like is Futurama. That's the only show. Oh, that and Super Friends. So, and they don't have Super Friends on Netflix. But Futurama is the only show that I like. And so I watched it. From start to finish, every episode. And then I said, well, now what? I wa I, so I watched them again. And about the third or fourth watching, I thought, what, what am I doing? My life is worthless. I'm watching this stupid cartoon. So I got rid of Netflix. And I realized how empty our lives are that we're just cramming stuff in, just cramming it in as much as we can watch. And once we've watched it, we watch it again and again and again and again. And there's nothing more to watch. This is the this is like at the end of two thousand and one. Well, binge watching is a, is a new phenomenon, and, and Netflix has made that possible, where you can take a series and watch it uh, in, in a serial fashion, you know, one episode after another until you've exhausted the entire series. You can watch a three year series in the course of you know under a week, but after it's done, you're, just you're, empty. you're left with that emptiness there's no more and you got so invested in this yes. thing for that period of time yeah that's exactly right this is it is is it not the um the symptom of a society which uh is at its core empty that people are just searching for anything to fill the void in their lives and you say well here fill fill your void with this and people are binge watching stuff that they already watched when they were young and they're re-watching it again 
but it's the same thing over and over. And then you have this, you still have the empty feeling and you got to get more and you got to get more. And, but the thing that's out there that people aren't searching for knowledge. They're not reading classical books. They're not learning how to solve complex math problems or learn new languages. They're binge watching Superstore or whatever that show is. Or well, like, what is, what is it that they're actually doing? I mean, what, what is, what is it that they're, what need are they fulfilling? Are they just filling up a void that's there and, and and they don't know how to fill that void with something that's of value. I think it's I think it's that void. I think I they are. Yeah, I I think they are trying to fill a void. That it's the same void that you realize when you look up on a on a night you know in the summer and when there's no lights from the city around and you look up at the sky and you see all the stars and you go wow are we little wow yeah. wow that is amazing and there's a. I saw a video the other day where they they started with a guy and a girl on a on a, a blanket in a park somewhere, and the camera says, "Okay, we're going to back up ten, uh, we're uh, one meter above them. Then they go uh, ten meters above them, and then they go a hundred meters above them, and a thousand meters, and they keep doing that in this video, and they back it up and back it up, and back it up." And then I forget how far back they go, but you pretty soon you're leaving Earth's atmosphere, then you're leaving the solar system, then you're outside of the of the solar system somewhere in the galaxy, then you're outside the galaxy, and then you're in the cluster of galaxies, and then you realize, dude, we are so small. Yeah. And then once you get beyond the galaxy, it's just a whole nother world or a whole nother universe. I mean, getting to the next galaxy is is incredible. The the distances and there are billions of galaxies. I know that that's what people I mean, there are billions of galaxies. Now, wait. In each galaxy, there are billions of stars. Yeah. Billions and billions and billions. We need Carl Sagan now, don't we? Whatever. That, Carl billions Sa- and billions and billions. billions. Was, was Carl Sagan someone that you ever you ever got into? Did you ever watch his stuff on uh, on uh, public TV? Yeah, I watched it once in a while, but I wasn't, uh, you know, a fanatic about it. Okay. Well, we know. Listen, we know we've, we've run up against it when we're talking about Carl Sagan. Now, we know. People are really looking at their watches going, I wonder if Carl Sagan traded. Yeah. Everybody, it's uh, Ernie Veritimo's program, Trader. I, am, of course, I, of course, am Chili D, Zap Rousdaler. Call me what you will. And uh, we'll do this again next time. Ernie, good luck on your trade. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye.